When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's finally NFL Draft Week, but before the picks get announced, let's take a look at this 2023 class through an analytical lens on this week's episode of Who's Next. Hello again and welcome back to another episode of Who's Next. As always, I am Jordan Backus, the host of this Devi and analytics-focused podcast on the Destination Devi radio feed. First of all, I want to say sorry about last week. I had a pretty big life change as I welcomed in my second daughter to the world. So I apologize for not having an episode last week, but there will definitely be enough content in this episode to make up for it. The original plan was to have last week cover quarterbacks and running backs, and this week be wide receivers and tight ends. Well, with the draft coming up this Thursday, we're going to be looking at all four positions this week. In this episode, I will be covering about five prospects from each of the positions. For more details, results, historical grades, and even more grades from this 2023 class, you'll need to join the Discord over at patreon.com forward slash allgas. I went in length this week in all four positions, giving a brief brief summary regarding my model, what it really is, historical grades, and the entire pre, pre-draft grades for the all four positions on this 23 class. I've gotten a lot of good feedback and a lot of good back and forth discourse. So if you're interested in this type of stuff, please head over and join our Discord ASAP. Before we get started, let's hear from our newest sponsor, Underdog. No matter if you're a redraft junkie or a dynasty degenerate, I'm guessing your favorite time of year is draft season. Well, that's exactly what Underdog is, draft season all the time. You'll be able to fast draft against randomly selected opponents or some of our DD members in as many best ball leagues as your heart desires. Through our partnership, Underdog is willing to match 100% up to $100 on first time deposits. That's $100 free dollars to draft in leagues all offseason to win real money at the end of the year. Use promo code WAKEUP to receive this promo. If you deposit $10 or more, you'll also receive access to the Destination Debbie Discord for the entire 2023 NFL season. That alone right there is worth more than you're imagining it is. So head over to Underdog and use promo code WAKEUP to receive this incredible offer. Alright, so no better place to start than the quarterback position. And at the top of the list is Alabama's Bryce Young. 
truthfully, there's really nothing that pops out of the model for me with Bryce Young. He's just a very, very good, solid, all-around quarterback and will probably be the number one pick this coming Thursday. Some highlights for his analytical profile are his career touchdown to interception ratio of 6.7, his career adjusted yards per attempt of 9.9, and his best season PFF pass grade of 92.1, which is best in this class. Like I said, I think he's going to be an extremely solid quarterback. I think he'll be probably a low-end quarterback one. I don't know if he'll ever have high-end quarterback one numbers that we really want out of quarterbacks, but he's going to be a solid quarterback, whether it's in your QB1 or QB2 spot, for years to come. Next up is Ohio State's C.J. Stroud, and rightfully so. Like Young, Stroud's going to be a very good quarterback for our fantasy teams. I don't know if he'll ever give us a ceiling like maybe another one of these 23 quarterbacks will, but he's going to be a solid quarterback too for years and years for us. Two of the big knocks against C.J. Stroud are his best season PFF big-time throws, which he only had 29, and his best season rushing yard share, which only was 4.3%. Both of those are pretty heavily weighted in my model, especially the rushing yard share. I know Stroud showed at times he can run on the ground, and Ohio State just really didn't want him doing that. So I do think he has somewhat of that rushing element that he can somewhat develop at the NFL level, but I need to see it first. So Bryce Young's final pre-draft grade for me was an 8.17, and Stroud's grade of 7.66 were good for the top two. Going down to our third quarterback is Hendon Hooker with a 7.26 grade. Like Stroud, one of his biggest knocks is that he only had 18 big-time throws in his best season. That's near the bottom of my entire database. Likewise, he will be 25.3 years old when he's drafted. That's also a huge red flag, as we've never really seen a quarterback get drafted at that age and have big fantasy success. However, one huge thing for Hooker is just like Young, he had a 6.7 career touchdown-to-interception ratio, and unlike the first two we talked about, his best season rushing yard share was pretty high at 23.5. So Hooker had a very good collegiate career over the course of, I think, five years at two different schools, and he looks to be a pretty good prospect, but that age is really something that I don't want to call it a red flag, but it's definitely something to consider when hitting select player. Alright, now we get to the fun two. First, we'll talk about Florida's Anthony Richardson. My model is pretty indifferent on him, to be completely honest. His passing metrics are just not very good across the board. I mean, the the best one is his adjusted yards per attempt, and that was only 7.4, so that's not outstanding it's not great but the thing really saving him like we've talked about with some other guys is his best season rushing yard share of 25.1 percent and then additionally his perfect RAS score of 10 gives him a bit of a bump he is currently rated at a 7.23 and the draft capital he will receive will definitely bump him up but I don't know if it's going to bump him up analytically ahead of Guys like Young and Stroud, who will also receive very good draft capital. 
when it's all said and done, I think he will be the third quarterback in my analytics grades. But he's going to be in that tier of Young and Stroud for me just based on, you know, what could be. The rushing ceiling puts him almost in potentially elite categories of fantasy scoring if everything hits. So if anybody's taking him as quarterback one, I wouldn't blame you at all. Last up is Kentucky's Will Levis, and I am likely lower than him than most people. There's really nothing good about his profile like Richardson. I mean, his best season big-time throw of 15 puts him in the lowest bucket there. His career-adjusted yards per attempt of 7.7 puts him in a very low bucket there. And then his career touchdown-interception ratio of 1.8 is just abysmal. At least Richardson had the rushing ceiling that really propped him up. Levis had, he, he's he's an okay rusher, really not at the level of Richardson, but he can do it. It'll be interesting to see if that really translates to the NFL because Richardson at least had a, a Raz of 10 where, where Levis didn't even test. So we don't really know a standardized athletic scoring or testing for him. And then like Hooker, Levis will be a little bit older, almost 24 years old at the age he's drafted. Levis's grade of 6.82 puts him in the silver tier for me, which is my tier four. There have only been two quarterbacks in this silver tier that have been drafted in the second round or higher. Well, actually just second round as there's been no quarterbacks ever selected in the first round that were in my silver tier pre-draft. But the two quarterbacks that were drafted in the second are Christian Hackenberg and Jimmy Garoppolo. If that's really the ceiling or type of production we're going to get out of Will Levis, do we really want to be spending a first-round pick on him? I don't know. I just took him at the 107 in my two-quarterback league just because of positional scarcity. But he's still making me very scared, and I don't know what he's going to be. I just hope I can flip him when and if he does hit. Moving over to running backs, we are actually going to just skip right over B. John Robinson. Okay, maybe not entirely, but we're not going into detail because he has the fourth highest pre-combine grade in my model, only behind Jonathan Taylor, Leonard Fournette, and Saquon Barkley, and he's just above Ezekiel Elliott and Christian McCaffrey. I, there's really nothing that needs to be said. He's an incredible prospect and should be the 101 in all formats, at least to me. So jumping into the next tier, we'll talk about the three guys I have currently in the platinum tier, and that's Alabama's Jameer Gibbs, Kansas State's Deuce Vaughn, and Texas A&M's Devon, Devin Ashane. So Gibbs is pretty consensusly the running back two in this class, and rightfully so. You know, the, the work on the ground is is pretty good. He has a career yards per attempt of 5.6, which is pretty good for college I mean, we, we really want to see something over the 6.0 mark, but 5.6 is definitely respectable. But obviously the big thing with Gibbs is his receiving work that really bumps him up, especially in PPR leagues. I mean, his best season target share of 12.7%, average reception share over the course of his three-year collegiate career, 16.2%, and his career adjusted yards per team play of 1.92 are three huge advantages for him. 
one last thing is his speed score. While he only weighed in at 199 pounds, he ran fast enough for a 110 speed score, which is very good. I mean, he's, like I said, the consensus RB2, and rightfully so. I don't think anything will really happen on Thursday for the draft that changes that. Gibbs is going to be a very good fantasy player. And, you know, I mean, I don't know if he'll ever really get that Austin Eckler workload or receiving workload that we all want to see. But at 199 pounds, there are some type of kind of cautionary tales about the 200-pound weight threshold. But, I mean, Gibbs is is a guy I want on all of my teams if possible. The next guy I want to talk about is a guy who's probably going to go on day three. He's only 5'6", 160, or sorry, 176 pounds, and that's Kansas State's Deuce Vaughn. He had the highest pre-combine grade ever in my model, and his collegiate production is off the charts. Career yards per attempt of 5.5 is his lowest metric. His best season target share of 21.2, average reception share of 19.9, career adjusted yards per team play of 2.68 is the 100th percentile for that statistic. I mean, it's truly off the charts. He's the 95th percentile, if not higher, of all of his production metrics. But that that only gets you so far. You know, we just talked about weight with Gibbs. Deuce Vaughn is 25 25 pounds lighter than that. And at 5'6", I just don't see... Any NFL upside, to be completely honest. I mean, he's going to be a day three pick. He's worth a flyer, but at that size, I don't know. There's quite literally no history of any running back that type of size. So, I I don't know. He's a huge wild card. He's a baller on the field. But the draft capital probably won't be there. His 82.8 speed score, that is second percentile, as in the number two is just not good. I don't know. He's he's worth a dart throw late, but I wouldn't be spending any round one or round two rookie draft capital on him. Next up is Texas A&M's Devin Shane, and I have issues with that name every time, so feel free to correct me, make fun of me, do whatever you want. That's fine. But anyway, he has a very good collegiate um, production profile, just like Vaughn, but the weight is also an issue here. I mean, this is this is a class of very, not only small running backs, but small receivers. 185 pounds for a Shane here. But like I said, his collegiate metrics are very good. 6.4 yards per attempt, 11.2 best season target, target share, 1.57 career adjusted, adjusted yards per team player, all very good. And his speed score of 108 is also very good. He will get better draft capital than Vaughn, so obviously love to see that. But at that 185-pound weight, it's going to be very, very troublesome to see if he even gets any type of workload over, you know, 12, 13, 14 touches per game. And maybe maybe that's the range we really want him in. Just be efficient with the touches you get. But I don't know how much we can really rely on that for year, or sorry, week-in, week-out production. The last two guys we're going to talk about are somewhat projects going forward, but their prospect profile is pretty good, and they definitely have better size than the the three guys we talked about earlier. First is Tulane's Tajay Spears. 
Spears' best season PFF offensive grade of 90.2 puts him in a very high tier there. Additionally, his career yards per attempt of 6.8 puts him at the top of the list for this class. Or I should say towards the top. He's a pretty good running back and had a lot of buzz coming out of the Senior Bowl. And has been shooting up boards ever since. He's definitely a guy to keep uh, keep an eye on for day two and day three of the draft. And his landing spot will be a huge factor in where he will end up in my rankings. He's a very good prospect, but obviously we want to see where he lands first. The last running back we're going to talk about is TCU's Kendra Miller. And he's a guy I think I'm going to have a lot of. At six foot, 206 pounds, he's one of the bigger backs in this class. And really, my model somewhat knocks him a little bit because he only saw one year of full workload. His best season metrics are pretty good, but average reception share and career-adjusted yards per team play are currently holding him back, both of which are knocked only because he was splitting time his first two years with Zach Evans. Unfortunately, due to an injury, he didn't run the 40, so we don't have an official speed score. But on tape, he looks fast, and his size really is going to be complementing him very well. Like I said, I'm going to have a lot of Kendra Miller, especially at the cost you're probably going to be able to get him. Let's move over to what I think and what is proven to be the most difficult position to project, and that's wide receivers. Even when looking at NFL draft capital, wide receivers is by far the most difficult to project. But at the top of my model are three platinum tier, or rather my second tier type of receivers, and that's USC's Jordan Addison, North Carolina's Josh Downs, and Ohio State's Jackson Smith and Jigba. So Addison is the highest in my rankings, or rather my grades, with an 8.36 pre-draft grade. So his best season yards per team pass attempt of 2.93, his breakout age with a 20% dominator of 18.6, and his P, or rather his best season PFF Reception grade of 88.3 all are very good and put him towards the top of this class. One thing that I love in receivers is having a 30% dominator in either year one or year two. So 30% dominator by year two is it's just a yes or no variable that I put into my model. And it it actually is pretty good and somewhat high or rather heavily weighted in my process. So Addison's, he checks that box. He, in his second year, he passed that threshold of 30% dominator rating. Luckily for Addison, I do not use any athletic measurables for receivers. There is nothing that I found that correlates well with fantasy points per game or fantasy success at the NFL level, so I just don't use it. There's no reason to. It isn't predictive. I don't use it. So for receivers, I just have a pre-draft and a post-draft grade. So Addison's somewhat slow 40 time, speed score, all that does not knock him whatsoever. The one knock against him, though, from the combine is that he's 173 pounds only. We have seen the NFL kind of shift to that smaller, quick type slot receiver, and Addison definitely fits that build. I mean, he definitely could be somebody like Devonta Smith at the NFL level, but I mean, there is somewhat of a hesitancy that we definitely had with Devonta Smith, so we definitely should have it with Addison as well. I think he'll still get the round one draft capital, 
Don't think he'll be top 10 like Smith was, but he's definitely a wide receiver in one of my teams. Moving down the list is another guy that I'm hopefully going to have on a lot of my teams, especially at the cost he's going to go for. And that's North Carolina's Josh Downs. He grades out at an 8.21 grade, which is second in this class for pre-draft grades. He's an early declare, and 3.52 best season yards per team pass attempt puts him at the top of this class. His average reception share also is a huge plus, as it's a 24.3% across three years for him. Like Addison, he also hit the 30% dominator by year two threshold, and he also has a career-weighted dominator of 31.6%, which is awesome. Like Addison, the biggest thing with Downs is his size. He's only 5'9", 171. I do see Downs being a pretty good slot receiver for the NFL. If a team that drafts him finds a way to use him, short, quick routes, and kind of let him get some yak, I think he's going to be a very good fantasy producer. I can see him eclipsing 100 catches in any season. He's really that good. Lastly, out of the three top guys is Jackson, Jackson Smith and Jigba. And quite honestly, I'm pretty surprised to see him grade out so well despite only really having one season at Ohio State. My model really favors those who have a very good average reception share, but Jackson Smith and Jigba only has an 11.8% average reception share because he really only played his sophomore year. He barely played freshman year and spent most of the time his junior season injured. So the fact that he's still up here in the platinum tier is really telling because his 3.25 best season yards per team pass attempt, breakout age of 19.5, and his best season PFF reception grade of 91.9 are all towards the top of the list. I mean, he is going to be the wide receiver one in any of my rankings come out post-draft. I don't know if he'll be the number one receiver that the NFL selects, but he will be in all of my rookie drafts. One other round one NFL receiver that I'm going to be skipping over is Quinton Johnston. I talked enough about him on our March 31st edition of the All Gas newsletter, which you can find over at allgas.beehive.com. I talked about him and the reasons I have major hesitancies when selecting him. Go check that out if you want to see my full write-up. One receiver that I thought would be higher in my model is Boston College's Zay Flowers. I have him much higher than my analytic grades do, but I understand why it kind of knocks him for a lot of his metrics and his early declare status. Flowers will be one of the older prospects in this class, but there are some silver linings in his profile. His 20.0 breakout age, 23.2 average reception share, and he does hit that 30% dominator by year two. All of those are great for his profile. Also, his career weighted dominator of 40.2 is the highest in this class. He does have very good metrics in some spots, but others are somewhat average, which really keeps him down at this silver tier in my model. So his final grade, or rather pre-draft grade, of 7.34 is kind of middle of the road for this class. But his NFL draft capital will definitely spike him up, and we definitely need to put some context to a lot of his grades. The last receiver I want to talk about is Michigan State's Jaden Reed. Unfortunately, he will be one of the older prospects at 23 years old, and he probably will end up being a day three guy. But there are some points to his profile that make me pretty excited. 
His 2.56 yards per team pass attempt is very good. His breakout age of 18.3 with a 20% dominator is also very good. And like I've said already, I want to see a 30% dominator within the first two years and Reed hit that mark. Reed is a guy that I am more than willing to take dart throws on in the third and fourth rounds of my rookie drafts. Now last but not least, we got the big guys, the tight ends. And this class is full of very good prospects. More than likely, Michael Mayer and Dalton Kincaid will be drafted in the first round. So I really won't talk about them here as I want to get to the other ones. But one point about Kincaid that I want to point out is that he only had 3.2 career yards after catch per reception, which is very low for the position. That is a statistic I would like to see much higher in tight ends for the NFL level. One tight end that I am hoping to leave my drafts with a lot of is Iowa's Sam Laporta. I don't know what his ADP will be a week from now, but I was just able to pick him up off of waivers post-rookie draft. It is a 10-team, but it is tight end premium, so I was very surprised to see him not get drafted, and I will happily pick him up off waivers for 13 fab. As far as his analytics go, he is up there with everybody in this class, if not better. His 1.89 best season yards per team pass attempt, 19.8 average reception share, and 2.18 best season yards per run are way at the top of the class. Like I just mentioned with Kincaid, yards after catch per reception is something I love, and Sam Laporta falls in the top tier of that with 5.6. Like I said, I'm going to have a lot of Sam Laporta. Hopefully you guys do too. Other than the three we've just talked about, there are four more somewhat wild card type tight end prospects in this class. South Dakota State's Tucker Craft had a very good collegiate career and his metrics are pretty good across the board, with his best one being career yards after catch per reception with 6.6. Also, his career targets per route run of .25 is pretty high for this class. That just means that South Dakota State was really trying to feature him when he was running routes. Zach Koontz and Darnell Washington showed out at the Combine. Koontz started at Penn State and transferred to Old Dominion, so he is a bit older at 23.9 years old. But his metrics check out across the board. He was extremely productive when he played. I don't know what type of draft capital he'll get, but he is someone to keep an eye on. Darnell Washington was also an athletic freak at the Combine. However, his production metrics are, let's just say, lacking. I think he has incredible upside, but Georgia just never used him the way that we want to see some type of tight end usage at the collegiate level. Lastly, we have Oregon State's Luke Musgrave. Unfortunately, due to injuries, we never really got to see Musgrave have a big season. His best season in 2021 was only 22 receptions, 304 yards, and with one touchdown. However, when he was on the field, he was pretty good. His best season yards per route run of 3.38 is near the top of this class. He also did very well at the combine measuring in at 6'6", 253 pounds, while also running a 4.61 40-yard dash, giving him a 114.4 speed score, which is very, very good for tight ends. The draft capital needs to be there, but Musgrave is really the ultimate wild card. So wrapping this up, that is... Ultimately, what I see from this 2023 class, at least some of the prospects at a high level. I hope you all enjoyed this episode and truly enjoy this week. I know a lot of us, including myself, 
have grown very tired of all the mock draft talk and what if talk. But please come Thursday and this weekend, enjoy the draft, enjoy the analysis with every pick, and hop in our Discord and talk to us about it. We'd love to see you there. I do plan on doing an episode after the draft to see how their draft capital and landing spot affect some of these guys and their rookie stock. But that is it for this week. Like I said, enjoy the draft and be good, everyone.